Rich Duncan with Inkheist, and tonight I'm excited to be joined by author Carrie K. Cox, um, who recently released his debut novel, Money Bear, through Level Best Books. Um, how are you doing tonight, Carrie? It's a great night. How are you, Rich? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm excited to, uh, excited to have you on here. Um, I'm happy and- to be here. Yeah, and uh, just when we normally kick things off, um, we usually just ask our guests to kind of give a um, like a new kid at school type of speech. So just a little <laughs> bit about yourself, you know, your writing career, what you've got going on. Okay, um, well, uh, my writing career. So I spent most of my writing career uh, first writing um, for magazines. I was uh, I, I left college to become a freelance writer um, because when I went to college to be a forest ranger, I couldn't pass chemistry. <laughs> and so <laughs> so I had to I, I happened to have taken a class in 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 freelance writing um, in college at Oregon State, and I wrote a I wrote a short story. Um, when I was about 21, submitted it to some men's magazines, got some really nice personally written rejection letters, which from what I was reading and could understand, that was kind of unusual to get even the personal, you know, rejection letters saying it's a nice story. We can't use it. Um, but then I did sell it. Uh, it sold to a a dubious men's magazine for $250 (laughs) And uh, they sold. They then reprinted it in an even more dubious magazine called Dude. I don't even know if it's still around <laughs> for <laughs> for, uh, for for fifty bucks. So I made three hundred bucks, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna do this for a living. And um, that's how it started. And I started freelancing for various sports magazines. And then I wrote uh, lyrics uh, and and some of the book for um, industrial theater for a while, and I broke into television with um, a show called Welcome to Pooh Corner on the Disney Channel. And um, then I got married, and uh, a, a, a young child came with the bargain, and I thought, well, this is great, but I better get a real job. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I to show you how naive I was, I looked in the newspaper for uh, in the L.A. Times. Uh, I looked under writer wanted in the classified, thinking I would actually find something. <laughs> and I actually did. Um, <laughs> and, and I got that job. It was writing uh, in-house training and and eventually all the radio commercials for a company called Thrifty Corporation, which used to own a. 700 thrifty drug stores and uh, big five sporting goods stores and all that. So it was a big, it was a big company, and I was there for about eight years uh, running their media production department. By the time I was done, then I got into all that. During that time, I was freelancing uh, uh, commercials. I I uh, edited, published, and distributed a. Um, and, and wrote all of the copy for a, a, my own newsletter called The Hollywood Scriptwriter, where I'd go out and interview top screenwriters. It was my effort to sort of break into the business, and, and the way that I figured I could do it was to start a newsletter for people trying to break into screenwriting. 
And um, while I didn't start that newsletter, I was in on the ground floor with the guy that did, and he eventually just turned it over to me, and I continued it for 11 years. And it was really a great experience uh, interviewing, going on to the studios and interviewing these screenwriters. And, uh, you know, I had several thousand subscribers all over the world, and that was pretty cool. And I ended up writing this script script writing um column for writer's market i don't know if you're familiar with writer's market Um, yeah but i did that for for three or four years and anyway i'm making this a very long story um (laughs) (laughs) i in in the process of all that i've been freelancing uh tv commercials uh forever i've done well over 200 of them and um and then you know i thought i i want to i want to try novels i've 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 done TV. I had a, a movie script option that didn't go anywhere, but I, I haven't done novels and I really wanted to. And I really like the crime fiction genre. And I had what I thought was a, a unique twist on that genre with with um, a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services special agent. There are only 200 of them in the whole country and they they operate undercover a great deal of the time. And I thought that's kind of a cool James Bondy uh, sort of character to have out there uh, working on wildlife trafficking, which is is a huge um, black market out there. It's actually third in the list behind uh, drugs and guns. Um, you've got wildlife trafficking as a as a multi-billion dollar um, black market uh, trade throughout the world. I don't know if that answered your question, but Jesus, I sure <laughs> talked a lot. <laughs> no, it it did. It did definitely. And you know what? It's it's totally okay because like sometimes when I have guests on, you know, I always apologize because, you know, I'll come up with like, you know, things to talk to them about or things like that. And I'll tend to like start a question kind of like I'm doing now. And the next thing you know, it's kind of like a bunch of questions kind of <laughs> all in there. So it's it's totally fine, and I uh, I can totally relate because I I do that too, so no worries. Um, right. But um, you know, yeah, there's so many fascinating things, you know, that um, like kind of in your new kid at school speech that you know I find interesting and want to ask you about. And you know, you're one of the first writers, I believe, or actually, we had one other one. Um, where they kind of, I don't know if the other author, if this was his experience, but like, I think it was one of his early stories where he had sold it to, you know, one of those magazines that you had mentioned. Yeah. And it, and it's funny because most people don't think about it, but you know, like a lot of, you know, early horror writers, especially, you know, like Stephen King and others, you know, that's kind of where they would place those markets because, at the time, those were some of, you know, the best uh, markets out there going for like short fiction and stuff. By far. And they paid the most money by far. Stephen King did a bunch for Playboy. And Woody Allen wrote a bunch for Playboy. And, um, you know, I, I saw that happening and I, and they, you know, you looked in, I would look in writer's market and see who was paying the most. Because, of course, I'm going to go for the most pay, having never sold anything yeah. before. <laughs> and, uh, and 
And uh, I, I got a personal letter from the one of the editors at Playboy that said they really liked the story. It wasn't right for them, but to keep submitting, and uh, it was really nice. It was, a, it was a, it was worth as much as uh, the the sale of the story to me, as far as convincing me that I could do this. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's kind of cool, especially like it's funny. You would kind of like laughed about how you know you kind of went for that high market right out of the gate um but like from speaking with writers you know you'll get differing um opinions on it but a lot a lot of them you know say that like when you're going out there you know it doesn't hurt to kind of you know shoot for some of those higher paying markets at first and then you can kind of go from there if it doesn't work out um and was like was that kind of the approach or did you just kind of you know figure like hey you know this is a pretty this is a pretty good market so i'm just going to go for that totally, or did you kind of yeah totally okay. based on the it was totally based on the money um i i mean the story itself was clearly going to be in a men's magazine if it was going to be anywhere at all it was uh basically a holden caulfield type of character whose father has given him the gift on his 17th birthday of going to a whorehouse and so, you know, where's that going to go? It's not going to be in good housekeeping. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so it's going to be in a men's magazine. And it, and I just kind of worked my way down, you know, Playboy, Penthouse. I don't remember Gallery. I don't remember all the ones that were out then. But it ended up in a magazine called Cavalier. I can't imagine they're still in business. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, and it, it, the funny thing was, Rich, you know, it, it the they, they buy the story, they send me the proof or, you know, they send you the magazine with, with, with your story in it. That's what they used to do. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, it's right in the center spread, uh, as, which was really cool. And, you know, the, 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 the cover is this young gal who I hope was of age, um, with a gap between her teeth and, not much on and it was just horrendous and, and and I'm thinking oh my god you know I've I've sold a story and I can't show this to to my folks at all I can't show it to my parents <laughs> I can't show it to yeah. anybody and um uh, but but I was just very excited to get money for something that I made up you know sitting at a kitchen table um and uh, just having fun with a with a Holden Caulfield type of voice going to a going to a whorehouse. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of like an interesting track. I don't know how, you know, big the time gap was, but, you know, kind of you also then kind of getting into like script writing, you know, for going from those kind of markets and then. Like you had said, you had uh, like written for the Disney Channel. Like, Grant, you were just submitting work to the magazine, whereas you were actually like um, like one story. Whereas you, I'm assuming you were doing like a bunch of episodes for the Disney Channel. You know, what was kind of like, what was it like? Because I've, I think we had one other uh, guest, Scott Thomas, who had done, you know, kind of similar things i don't know if it was for the disney channel but what was it like for you kind of writing in that space like writing for a very very young audience well one of the things that i did in my life as i was trying to break in writing i did a number of of different odd sort of side jobs to pay the bills right i Mm-hmm. I taught I taught a lot of swimming. I lifeguarded. I taught karate. I, I one of the things I did was I taught nursery school. I had um, I was with one other teacher and 
with 22 uh, three and four year olds. And um, so I knew little kids um, very well. And so it was actually quite a lot of fun for me to to write for uh, the, the show was called Welcome to Pooh Corner. It was uh, sort of these animatronic uh, Winnie the Pooh characters, uh, people dressed in, you know, people dressed in Winnie the Pooh costumes that yeah. they um, they would beam an FM signal of the script they would they would i guess lay the voiceover down first right and then they would beam mm-hmm. that voiceover onto the set and the the fm signal would make their mouths flap <laughs> 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 that's that's uh that was high tech um but um that was a fun show to work on for as long as i was able to i wrote i don't know i want to say a, a dozen or so episodes of that i would guess and uh, enjoyed every minute of it. That was, and it was, you know, it was regular work for me all uh, mm-hmm. in TV. And I was, I was young and um, was, like I say, I was uh, getting ready to get married. And there was a, a, a my 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 wife had had a, a a daughter by a previous marriage, very young a child when she was only what was she like three or four when i met them and so she's mine <laughs> she's my mm-hmm. kid and um so it was, i thought that was i thought it was the launch of something big but i tell you what um it's the dry spells in between you know you write those 12 episodes and they're non-union right so there's no residuals or anything like that and um, as opposed to the Love Boat episode I did once where I recently <laughs> got, I got a residual check for four bucks. <laughs> I, did that, I, I did that. I did that segment in 1985 and I just now and I got a I got a residual check just last week for four dollars. So somewhere <laughs> somewhere in the world, the Love Boat is being inflicted on a new generation. And I. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny because i was going to ask you about that um because i you know i did a little bit of research beforehand and like it popped up and i was like i wonder because you know like i have a fairly common name i would assume yours is a little bit common i was like i wonder if he wrote that episode of the love boat <laughs> good lord you found that <laughs> That again, yeah. I can't believe that even popped up. <laughs> yeah, it's on. Uh, you, I think I'm. I'm almost certain that. Um, and I think they just generate them. I'm almost certain there's an IMDb page. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> hey, hey, you know that that was a pretty that was a pretty big show, and um, you know, like you said, um, you know, anytime you know, as a writer, like I just kind of do it on on my own i'm not like a professional writer or anything like that um you know anytime you can kind of work on writing even if it's not something that's you know going to ultimately reflect you know like your artistic goals you know you're still kind of developing those habits and you know staying in that mindset of like always writing which i'm sure has kind of you know helped you you know throughout you know, your career, like whether it be professional, like, you know, working for someone else, like in advertising and things like that. Um, but also with your own like creative work. Right. Right. Well, I, I've, uh, I've always had to, you know, write for the check. I've always had to write for a living. 
I've never been able to afford writer's block. So when people ask me about writer's block, I have never experienced it because I've not had that luxury, frankly. And um, it's sort of my one marketable job skill, I suppose. <laughs> so I have to... <laughs> Uh, I've, I've written in pretty much any kind, any kind of, um, I've sold pretty much any kind of product that's out there. I've written in pretty much any kind of genre you can think of and in any kind of medium you can think of radio commercials, TV commercials, movies, TV spot or TV shows. And now I'm trying, you know, novels. Um, I think the one thing I haven't done in a really, really long time, I think the only short story I ever sold was that very first one. Um, I think short stories are the hardest things to write there that there is. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I, and I, I, I've been so focused on getting this, um, this novel series launched that, you know, should I write a short story and try it out? Or do I get an idea it's once in a while? Sure. But I just don't make the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, um, we've asked, we've always asked, I think, a majority of the guests, you know, kind of that question about long form versus short form. Mm -hmm. And oddly, you'll, you'll get different answers. Like all of them, you know, have mentioned that, you know, it takes a very unique skill set for both. And one isn't necessarily easier than the other. But I'm always kind of fascinated because some people really thrive in like that short, you know, mm -hmm. format mm -hmm. where they can create these expansive stories in a small space. And yeah. others kind of like the way you can you can kind of breathe like in a novel, like you can right. kind of spread out a little more. Right, right, right. No, it takes a, I, I don't know. Maybe I can write short stories. I might try it, but you know, I'm, 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 I'm a very goal oriented person. And my goal was to, to uh, get a novel series launched and published. And so that's where I've focused my efforts. And that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. And, you know, that was one thing I kind of wanted to ask you is I know because um, I'd listened to another interview with you um, on Ladies of the Fright and kind of how you um, told the story about, you know, you didn't always necessarily like dreamed of being a writer. Mm -mm. Um, you wanted to be a forest ranger. That's right. And, um, you know, I was wondering when you decided to. um that you wanted to try novels was that kind of like the first idea you had was to kind of you know mine your love for that sort of world of like you know the forest ranger and kind of like that kind of aspect of crime or did you kind of go through a couple different ideas beforehand hmm no it wasn't the first novel i wrote but it was the first idea i ever had for a novel um i uh you know, again, I, I was raising kids and paying for school and paying for food and <laughs> all that yeah. kind of stuff. So so I was writing for a living, and I, but I would go at lunch and I would write various novels and things. I would sit in the library and bang out novels and not really knowing what I was doing, um, but kind of having fun doing it. But I think the first one I wrote was something like 600 pages long or something ridiculous. And um, – I probably wrote two or three, probably three novels 
that didn't go anywhere before I uh, was able to just sit down without having, you know, a full-time job or without having uh, all these commitments with the kids out of the house. (laughs) Yeah. With the kids out of the house and just say, okay, this is a pretty good premise. I want to make this one work. Um, and uh, But I had the idea for it long, long ago uh, when my my uh, youngest daughter, Mackenzie, was, was, I don't know, eight or nine. I, uh, I took her to the Museum of Natural History, which was one of her pl- favorite places to go. And... Um, they had an exhibit on bears there, and that's where I found out about this whole bear gallbladder poaching problem. And it struck me as a great concept for a story, but I just couldn't figure my way into the story. Um, I didn't want to make it a lecture about, you know, that poaching is bad and don't do it and, and, and they're the bad guy. I didn't want to get into all – I wanted to find a way in that would be entertaining and yet throw a spotlight on this problem. And that just kept percolating and percolating. And I never uh, – you know, in the meantime, I wrote a couple of novels and I tried to I tried to uh, market them and they didn't go anywhere. Um and then I said, okay, I, I, I think I know my way in. I read an article on U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service special agents, and I thought, hey, you know, people don't know about these, these folks. Um, super dedicated, elite, highly trained folks who are, are fighting this battle of, of international wildlife trafficking. I thought, wow, that, that might be my way in. And um, and it was and it worked out worked out well. Yeah, that was that was one of the things that um, you know I found interesting. Like when I'd first heard about uh, Money Bear, was you know kind of that approach to it. Um, you know, like you said, those special agents. You know, I'm sure there are some out there that maybe have something similar, but not very often. Like a lot of times, it's you know either like a detective or a cop or, you know, things of that nature. And I thought it was a unique um, twist because reading this, um, you know, combined with like the afterword and then just, you know, elements of the plot, um, you know, I had no idea that, you know, those agents like that they would, you know, find themselves in those sorts of situations. And I'm sure most people reading it, you know, wouldn't think of it either necessarily um like i'd always just kind of thought like you know that yeah they you know they might go out and you know stop poachers or things Mm -hmm. like that but Mm -hmm. i never really thought about that side of it well and the the um there are other authors out there doing game warden type of crime fiction uh you know cj box certainly has been hugely successful nevada bar has been hugely successful they um but their their uh, uh, protagonists and all of their stories are based in a single location mm-hmm. um, for the most part like uh, uh, CJ box is it's Wyoming and um, and so I thought you know number one they're doing it very well why am I going to jump into that pool but number two 
I kind of I, I kind of get the feeling sometimes I'm reading the same story over and over when I'm in the same setting all the time, right? Yeah. So what I liked about the the these um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service special agents is that um, I can move them all around the country. Um, they're primarily involved with trafficking across state lines mm-hmm. or, or trafficking internationally, and. Um, that appealed to me because I get to put them in, put Nick Tanner, the, the protagonist, into different kinds of terrains and with different challenges and different weather and different people and different accents and different voices. And it just seemed like a, 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 a way for me to stay really interested and make the stories very distinct from each other. Just, you know, um, yeah. and, and, and that, that appealed to me a lot. But yeah, they get into these situations, and I've, I tell you, I've, I've, in in the course of researching the books, I've talked to um, actual undercover <laughs> U.S. and state uh, fish and wildlife uh, agents, and um, uh, still maintain communication with with a couple of them um, on a, on a regular basis. One, in fact, I uh, who who was head of undercover operations in California, happens to be a female, who I work with pretty frequently in my, um, I'm with the Marine Mammal Center, which is a marine mammal rescue group here on the Central Coast, and she's with, she's retired from the, um, from Cal, uh, Cal State Fish and Wildlife, and uh, she's in that group as well, so I see her quite frequently. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. And that's what I was going to ask, you know, which I assumed a lot of research went into it was if you had talked to anyone. So, you know, that's that's always kind of cool. Like when you kind of, you know, get to interview those people in the course of researching your book and you might find out things that, you know, you couldn't find out anywhere else. Um, sure. You know, kind of how they do their job and, you know, even things that they have seen, because like I said, um I I never would have guessed any of the things uh, in the book, and I thought that that lended a really a really cool um, atmosphere to the story. Um, and two, the fact that um, I don't know if you had created this um, as a series in mind. I think you kind of had mentioned that you know your goal was to launch a series, so maybe. But um, I've always wanted to ask, and we haven't had too many series writers. Um, like when you were working on this book, did you know it was going to be series and a series? And what was it kind of like when you went to pitch the book? Like, did you already have like book one done and then like some outlines and just tr- and tried to like sell it as a series? Or did you just try and, you know, sell Money Bear first? Um, a little of each. So I wanted to sell it as a series. Um, and when I went, I started out by obviously finishing the book and then writing all of the the horrible parts which is the synopses and the and the the one page summary and you know and the pitch and the elevator all the oh i hate writing that shit but um (laughs) but at any rate i had to get all that ready and then i did my my massive agent uh Search. I don't want to call it an agent hunt. That sounds kind of gruesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I did my agent search, and I definitely wanted to sell it as a series. I positioned it as a series, and no, I did not spend a bunch of time sketching out 
additional stories because I thought if I can't sell this as a series, then I wasted a whole bunch of time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I wrote what I felt was a, the strongest book I could with the best first 50 pages I could possibly put together. And, um, and then I went out uh, um, to, to agents kind of in a mass uh, uh, mailing. Um, and I, I chose um, – I'll give away what I did. I, 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 I chose the evening, the night of January 1st. Uh, of a recent year, I won't say which year, but of of a, of a recent year, uh, the night of January first, because I thought, you know, all the agencies just absolutely shut their doors during the holidays. I mean, from Thanksgiving on, forget it. Um, nobody's really mm-hmm. responding to you. But my feeling was these people, just judging from the type of personality you have to have to be an agent, I gotta figure they're addicted to their email, right? So, Mm -hmm. so I thought all these other writers are going to be saying, Hey, I'm poised. I'm waiting when these holidays are over, I'm sending out my queries. And I thought I'm going to send my queries out right in the middle of the holidays, because I'll bet you that after Christmas and after New Year's Eve, these guys are just going to be ready to go back to work and and they, they won't be able to lay off their email and I'll I won't be buried in the midst of a whole bunch of others. So all you writers out there, maybe you can try that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it worked really well. Um, and I, I got within probably a week, I got half a dozen uh, full manuscript requests. And um, by January, I don't know, by mid-January, um, I had uh, an agent who was already sending it out. So... Um, you know, so that part went really well. Uh, it didn't sell to a major house. It sold to a to a smaller house, which is fine. Um, I get a lot of personal attention there. Level Best Books has been terrific, and um, you know, well, uh, I, I my my um, not experience per se, but but in in talking with people who have been with major houses, you know, it's great in that there's a lot of resources at your disposal there, but also I think that the bar is pretty high per, from a performance standpoint, and if the book doesn't hit pretty quickly, I think that um, th- their enthusiasm may wane rather quickly too, if you know what I mean. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know that that tip like I never would have thought about that, but that's like such a genius way to like do it because you're right. Like so many people probably weren't thinking to, you know, send their work in then. And then by doing so, you know, it probably helped a lot. Like you said you weren't buried under all of these other requests that other people might have been sending in there. Like I never would have considered that, but um I think that's a pretty solid tip. Well, <laughs> hopefully now there won't be four billion of <laughs> yeah. in January. But um, but yeah, it you know it worked. Um, all I can say whether it was whether it was a smart thing to do or not, it worked and uh, <laughs> and it it made sense to me logically. So. Yeah. And, you know, as far as like the, it's interesting because we've had other crime writers on and stuff, but um. 
like we I well I'll just speak for myself my um my other co-host he couldn't make it but um he might know a little bit more but you know there are a lot of indie crime publishers and then like we in particular you know have a lot of relationships with uh indie horror publishers and um you're right there is there's benefits and drawbacks to both but like i've always found it kind of fascinating like hearing about it from the crime side because i'm not really um you know as in tune with Mm -hmm. independent publishers there but um yeah like um i was wondering you know if you kind of like as a reader even because i know for myself um when i first started doing book reviews i had only really known you know stuff that i had seen before and then kind of as i read more of it i started finding out about like you know these independent presses and things like that Mm -hmm. and i was just kind of curious you know what your experience has been like um you touched on it a little bit you know working with an independent press and then like you know as you i'm sure you've you read a lot as well um i think you know, most writers um, do. And I was just wondering, mm-hmm. you know, if you had started reading and discovering like newer presses. Hmm. Um, I spend most of my reading time trying to read the guys and gals who have uh, dominated the, 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 the crime fiction market either mm-hmm. re- recently or long before, you know, from, from Jim Thompson, people like that who were, and Raymond Chandler, who were who were the not the inventors, but who really defined sort of this uh, hard uh, hard boiled crime mm. fiction to to reading all of Elmore Leonard and all of Carl Hyacin and all of James Lee Burke and and I could go on and on with 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 them. Um, again, I. You know, I'm I'm very goal oriented, Rich. So I made a decision to be in a certain genre, and so I thought, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna study uh, the the Don Drysdales and the Sandy Koufaxes and the um, and yeah. the, the the Babe Ruths of of uh, of this genre, and um, so do I dip into the uh, you know the smaller press folks. Sure, sometimes, um, and mm-hmm. and every so often you find a, a gem. Many times you don't, um, and uh, so from just a, from the standpoint of being efficient with my time, I I tend to. There's just so many really great ones out there to read that um, that's where I that's where I've tended to focus. To be completely honest with you. Yeah, yeah, and I and I can understand that, like you said, because you know, um, you know, you're trying to, you're making sure you read all of those things because it kind of like informs, uh, you know, what you're doing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, you know, they're you know, doing, you know, you know, they're doing it right. <laughs> I don't have to second yeah. guess them, with the exception of a few. I will come across some out there. Um, that baffle me as to why, and I'm not going to name them here, but mm-hmm. but it will it will absolutely baffle me as to why they've become you know the the books that you find on the airport in the airport bookstores. Um, it, it I I just don't get it, but but um, they're the exception. Most of most of the ones who have 
become household names have become that way for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, it's always, it's always kind of, like I said, interesting, just getting different perspectives on that question, you know, both from just a writer standpoint and also like a, um, a genre standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, money bear, I, I really, I really kind of love the um, interactions between um, Nick and also Kathleen um, Shepard. Yeah, I love their, I love their um, interactions with each other. And you know, is that? I don't know if that gets too much into, you know, spoiling what's to come. But is Nick gonna be? Even though he does undercover stuff, is it gonna be kind of, you know, him? working with different people or is there the possibility that, you know, he'll meet up with a uh, shepherd again? Is there a possibility? Sure. Is it going to happen soon? No. Um, he's going to work with different people. Um, mm-hmm. One interesting thing I'll bring up about Kathleen Shepard. Uh, and, and this was, this was one of the epiphanies I had while doing the novel, I guess, was Kathleen Shepard was originally a male character. And um, I wrote I wrote the whole book that way and um, I I started to market it that way. And I worked with somebody who was telling me, you know, um, the majority of readers these days are female and certainly the majority of readers at agencies are female. And uh, it was just a conversation we were having and it clicked in my mind. You know, while I had some strong female characters in the book who some of whom didn't survive the the rewrite, but. Um, what I thought, oh my goodness, why isn't Shepard female? Of course she should be female. Um, then I've got a powerful female, um, you know, sort of lead to go along with, with Nick Tanner and changing that made all the difference in the book, in my opinion. Um, it, it ended up, I hope, you know, hopefully a lot of people feel like you do, that it was a fun relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. And and um, you know was able to bring out the personality in both of them, but but no, Tanner's going to be having different relationships with different because he's moving all over the the, the next yeah. the next uh, uh, um, installment of the series takes place in Book Cliffs, Utah, which is uh, an amazingly different <laughs> moonscape compared to um, you know the 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 redwoods, which redwood state and national park which is uh you know home of the world's largest tallest rather uh living organisms the redwood trees yeah and that that was another thing that i you know really loved about the book was you know i've never been to the west coast um i've never been to you know the redwood national forest but like the the way you were able to like portray that in your book and craft that atmosphere like i just loved it like even the residents of the town like at the local bar you know and everything else like i just loved everything about that because you know like i said i've never been there but now i felt like i have been there and you know i know you're based on the west coast are you relatively close to there and is that kind of like how you decided to make like the first book there because you maybe have spent like a lot of time there I've spent time there, most definitely. Um, and when I was applying to colleges, Humboldt College, which is right smack there in the Redwoods, uh, was the only college that turned me down at the time. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> uh, 
So I was determined to go out and see it. Um, and, you know, I can describe and describe and describe in the book, but until you've actually walked in the in in the Redwoods, it's an it's a feeling like no other. And if you ever can make it out there, Rich, you got to do it because it's it's a cathedral kind of an atmosphere that I don't know that anybody's ever been able to. I certainly struggled and tried and did my best to, to, to describe it and bring people into that. But until you stand next to one of those trees and look up, you, you, you haven't, it's just not something that you can put into words. It's an amazing feeling. Um, but I'm glad that you feel like you've been there. Um, I mean, that's, that's what I was trying for. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, um, I I really enjoyed it, especially and like I said, especially not just that aspect of it, but um, you know, obviously the main characters, you know, are great, uh, Shepard and Nick. Um, but like I also loved like a lot of the secondary characters too, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like a lot a lot of those guys like uh, Frank and all of them. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I just love I loved that kind of uh you know, portrayal, especially living kind of in a small town. Um, right. It's not quite what, not quite like that, uh, like that far there, but you know, like I've <laughs> been the places like that. Um, so it, sure. like, I always love that kind of stuff. Sure. Well, small towns, um, you, you get to know the, 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 the crazy characters that are in small towns, right? <laughs> yeah. um, you're just going to run into them. You have to deal with them every day. <laughs> and, um, and when you get into a place as rough and tumble as, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Redwoods are, that whole area is, and as, as um, it, it was, you know, it was uh, fueled by an outlaw economy mm-hmm. until the legalization of marijuana, uh, all of Humboldt County, most of Mendocino County, that whole Redwoods area, Shasta County, that whole that whole Redwoods area up there, um, their their logging industry uh, went downhill. Their fishing industry was hugely impacted, and so those people had to figure out what to do for money. And and what they did was grow pot and sell pot and do it very successfully to the point where. You know, they were practically responsible for making uh, marijuana the the number one cash crop in California. And if you think about the number one cash crop in a in a state like California that basically <laughs> feeds most of the nation, um, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, and mm-hmm. and you know, and how do you even keep track of that kind of money? <laughs> um, it yeah. was it was just so so that kind of culture breeds. A certain type of folk that are uh, that are characters, you know, and and I met some and made up some and composited some into, you know, a several into one character. But they're all up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like I think that's another reason why, you know, besides just kind of the cool, like taking a different approach to crime and like, you know, you have you know, the wildlife aspect of it, you know, with the uh, bear poaching, but also kind of threading that with, you know, more traditional crime elements. Like I love, I loved that, but yeah, that, that as well. Um, like the character thing, like I've always been a sucker, 
even with the horror genre with kind of like you know the small town aspect and you know the characters that populate it mm-hmm. um, but um kind of on that threading of the two um you know was that kind of easy for you to kind of meld those two together um you know the part with like the bears but also kind of uh without spoiling it you know threading in things that are a little bit more familiar for crime reader so my concern was that um the the uh butchering of bears for their gallbladders um Mm. While interesting in terms of the fact that a you know, dried bear gallbladder bile is is by weight more uh, more expensive than is worth more than cocaine, it's worth more than gold. Um, and I thought, okay, that's really interesting. But how much will people? It's a sad statement, but how much will people mm-hmm. really care? In the crime fiction world, I had to have you know, some human murders <laughs> had to kill some. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and, it, you know, in all, as James Scott Bell, the crime, crime fiction writer will say, you know, your, your hero has to face either actual physical or career death at some point in, in your story, or you don't have a story. And, um, so I have to make sure that that, you know, that Tanner is is put into um, a, a position where his life is in, is in danger. I have to have uh, the stakes high enough to where there are are human murders that are there are um, criminals who are willing to murder and have murdered in order to keep the stakes high enough. If they, if they're only willing to go out and shoot bears for most people that's not going to be high enough stakes and mm-hmm. you can make of that what you will, but that's, that's the truth. And so, um, yeah, so that's, that it, it's, and the truth of the matter is when you have something that's worth that kind of money, you get those kind of people. Yeah. And, and that was another thing, you know, like, um, throughout reading the book, like those little nuggets, like I never would have guessed for one that it was, as big of an issue, like I believe you had said, it's only behind um, like drugs and weapons. Mm-hmm. And also the like when um, that, cause I believe you would kind of work that in, you know, the price of, you know, the bile and stuff. Like I never in a million years would have thought that right. it was worth that much. Right. Right. Um, the, 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 the um, value is, is in overseas uh, is, in the case of bear bile, it's in the traditional Chinese medicine market. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, certainly the guys that go out and poach bears here, and this is a very real problem. It's not something I made up. Um, it's a very yeah. real problem. And the, the guys that go out and hunt the bears here, you know, might get 50 bucks um, for the for the, uh, the bear gall bladder. But overseas, it can sell for 10 times that. And um, so in betwixt all of that are the middlemen marking that up along the way. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And also, like you said, the danger that comes with it. Right. As, as you go higher up the, the chain and the money gets bigger, the, the more desperate measures people are willing to take to protect that source of income. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, one thing that I wanted to make sure I told you, you know, I enjoyed the book as a whole, but I was also so, so in love with like the opener, like the way you decided to open the book. Um, It was very action packed. Like I wasn't sure, you know, where it was going at first in terms of like, I thought that this was, you know, I don't want to spoil it. So I got to try and be careful, but (laughs) I was expecting it to kind of be like a, a scene, you know, early on just kind of like a scene that kind of sets up like what the issue is but kind of not only the action but kind of how you then you know introduce characters into the book Mm -hmm. i i love that part and like right from the jump uh you know i think that endears nick to readers oh good good well i'm I'm, i i and i don't know uh how I don't know how we how much secrecy we have to keep here. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> but, that's that's totally up to you because I yeah, also realized uh, I kind of. <laughs> well, there, certainly the the initial chapter is designed to make the person feel a certain amount of empathy, uh, to the extent that this bear has been uh, uh, killed and and you know it's 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 such an abusive thing, right? I mean they they just they. Mm. They literally just carve out this tiny little gallbladder. Typically, they'll amputate the paws as well um, because uh, the paws are worth a lot for a soup that is popular in, in China and um, and also in Chinatowns here in, in the United States. And um, But my goal was to elicit the kind of empathy that you might have thinking that that's a human death – a human corpse that's mm-hmm. been discovered, and then you find out it's not. And but I've hopefully infused you with a little bit of that empathy, and you're not like disappointed, but you're but you're actually like grabbed by that and said, "Oh man," and feel what Shepard feels while she's discovering that. Mm-hmm. And then the next chapter is where Nick gets introduced in a in a in what I hope was sort of a, a, a of an interesting way. yeah yeah and you know i realized because i knew that they were both kind of like right next to each other i kind of Mm -hmm. combined two chapters so yeah you i'm glad you kind of answered it that way because i was all i was talking about that aspect but also yeah nick's uh introduction but yeah especially the part with like the bear like i thought that was a really unique um approach Mm mm-hmm Right, right. I thought you were probably talking about where I brought Nick in because there's a little bit mm-hmm. of a, a little bit of a of a switch on that in that chapter that um, yeah. ca- that hopefully catches people by surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I um I really um enjoyed it, and I know that you said um you didn't kind of at the time when you were pitching it that you didn't really sketch them out. So with now that you've placed the first one. Um, I'm sure you're probably actively working on maybe the second one, but did you then also start kind of like the process of, you know, maybe not getting too far into it, but kind of, you know, maybe like a quick sketch, um, about like maybe the third one and possibly even others. Sure. Once, once I sold the, I, well, it was a three book deal, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so once I sold the first one, I knew I had to, (laughs) I had to come up with other ideas. Now, um, as I research wildlife trafficking, one thing there's no shortage of is ideas. 
unfortunately, there are plenty of different ways that people traffic wildlife, um, whether for exotic, the exotic pet market, um, which is huge, uh, or whether it's for parts for medicine, whatever it might be. Um, endangered species throughout the United States are in constant danger of being poached and trafficked. And so it was, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to find actual cases. And what I do is, is, is research actual cases that have been before the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or just cases I run across. And I use those as a foundation for, as a springboard really for, for new stories. So to answer your question, yes, I've basically finished the first draft of my second book, although it's not due till August of this year. And it takes place in book cliffs and it focuses on um, what are called canned hunts and um, and the butterfly trade, which you would think, oh, geez, really carry butterflies? <laughs> but. <laughs> But uh, a multi, multi-million dollar industry, again, with huge overseas um, uh, implications, and um, butterfly species are being wiped out here in the United States to feed this, this uh, uh, hunger, uh, not just the United States, but South America, that area um, particularly, um, to feed this hunger of, of, of butterfly enthusiasts. And the closer these critters get to extinction, the more their value goes up to the point where uh, mm-hmm. there uh, is some of them, if they a- actually reach extinction, the people who have sort of banked these, um, these critters, you know, like pinned butterfly pairs that they've banked um, mm-hmm. will skyrocket in volume or skyrocket in value. Sorry. So um, it's an, it it also is an interesting it, when you start to look it up an interesting and and potentially violent arena, and then the canned hunting is just something that enrages me to such an extent that I had to um, I had to spotlight that in book two. And book two is called Canned Hunt. Uh, I don't need to promo it yet; it won't be out for another year. <laughs> But but then and, and then I've started uh, to sort of sketch out ideas and talk to people about my third idea uh, or my the third edition, which will probably involve the um, uh, turtle smuggling that goes on again, endangered animals. Again, big deal. Turtles, really. Uh, <laughs> reptile reptile smuggling is incredibly uh, lucrative. Uh, it's incredibly cruel uh, the way that it's done. And, uh, and and you attract the same kind of criminals that you do for all the wildlife trafficking where there's that much money involved. So um, th- that'll be focused. That'll be uh, taking place probably in the swamps of Mississippi. So I get to go to three very different areas in these first three books. Yeah, and they they both sound they both sound great. I love the idea of kind of, you know, not only highlighting different you know problems that are going on with you know like wildlife trade but also that you know you're going to get to explore you know different areas you know different types of people and things like that um very different very different people and i want to make it clear that none of these books are lectures on uh the the evils of wildlife trafficking they are primarily you know to entertain 
Um, and so mm-hmm. I don't I don't want people to think, oh, geez, I need to read a, his, his essay on wildlife trafficking. It's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not what it is at all. There's there's supposed to be a lot of fun. And and you know, hopefully um, I'll continue to have uh, uh, heavy doses of humor throughout. I think if you think of if you're familiar with the crime genre at all and you think of writers like Elmore Leonard or um, Carl Hyassen, uh, it's that tonality yeah yeah and you know that i'm looking forward to uh reading those but yeah also i i like how you kind of say that because like you said people might perceive it in one way but the thing that i thought was great was they definitely do entertain but i definitely learned a lot as well like i said i hadn't not just with the agents, but like, you know, little bits about, you know, the particulars of kind of what's going on. Like I knew there was wildlife trafficking, mm-hmm. but I thought, I thought it was very well done on how you made it entertaining, but then you could also kind of bring to bring a light to those issues. Yeah. And, um, bet I was you never always, heard I was of, curious. Bet, bet you never heard of, bet you never heard of burl poaching either, huh? No, no. No, um, I, I had no idea. Like I knew that, um, a little bit about it that like, you know, people would try and do it, but I didn't know like the technical term for it, um, or that it was kind of that common. That they'd carve out huge hunks of these redwoods and, and, um, you know, would hundred percent illegal and then carve them up into bears or, or beavers or whatever and sell them. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I thought, yeah, look, it's, 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 it's not a, a, a glamorous crime, but it's something that fuels <laughs> the, um, the meth industry up there. <laughs> and so I thought, yeah. well, that's something to throw in. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it, I interrupted you. You were asking something else. Oh, no, no, no. That's totally fine. Um, I was just curious because kind of when your interest in, you know, like wildlife issues, um, like when you first became, became aware of it and kind of took like an interest in, you know, learning about it and things like that. And um, I know you had mentioned that you uh, – you work for like a rescue. Is that something that you have done for a while or? No, not for a while, but I've, uh, you know, I wanted uh, to be involved in, in wildlife management um, since I was, since I can remember, since I was a kid, it fascinated me. The whole idea of, of wildlife conservation and management fascinated me. It's why I went to school. Um, and uh, the, I became a writer because I needed to make a living. Um, and, uh, uh, but this enables me to sort of uh, live vicariously through Nick Tanner and be that wildlife management, wildlife uh, agent, um, and 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 learn more about that world and steep myself in it. And uh, my rescue work that I do for both marine mammals and then I do for uh, a group called Pacific Wildlife Care out here on the Central Coast, which is more along the lines of, you know, uh, birds and mammals um, uh, that are injured or whatever. And we have a we have a hospital here that that with, with a vet full time that that uh, works on rehab with a facility that um, can house the animals and rehab them. And then they're re-released. And then I work with uh, the local feral cat and kitten rescue here to uh, help with the trapping and and. Um, 
that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it, it's just an interest of mine and it's, uh, or I would say more, it's, that's the passion. The writing isn't necessarily the passion. The writing is something that I'm able to do and mm-hmm. the, the, uh, wildlife conservation and wildlife management in general has always been a passion. Yeah. And, and that's kind of cool, um, that you're kind of able to like do that stuff. And then also that you were able to kind of incorporate your passion for that. And, you know, you had said you wanted to be a forest ranger and kind of write about that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's fun because like so many times, you know, we'll talk to writers and stuff and it like a lot of the stuff is like, you know, finding when you're like writing a novel or whatever is, you know, mm-hmm. making sure, you know, you're kind of uh, like entertaining yourself almost like entertaining is the wrong sure. word, but, you know, having fun with it. Sure. So it's kind of cool that you're able to do that. And I think that it kind of comes across, you know, in the book itself. Oh, good. Yeah. You have to live with your you have to live with your story in the case of a novel for at least a year. Yeah. And uh, you better you better find some joy in what you're writing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and also I'm never in, I don't think I'll ever be in the situation of, okay, now what do I write next? Um, there's just mm-hmm. s- so many story ideas that I have. Uh, I sure hope I get a contract renewal for another three or whatever after this, because I've got plenty to tell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait to read, um, the rest of them. And I hope, uh, I hope that you get to do more than the three, too. Um, and you had touched on this earlier, some of the writers that you enjoy. Um, but also, I was just kind of curious in terms of like a tone, you know, what kind of uh, crime fiction do you like to read? And are there other genres, you know, even if you're not necessarily reading them right now that, you know, you're interested in or enjoy? Um. Yeah, I'm an eclectic reader. My favorite, my favorite book ever um, was written by a guy named John Kennedy Toole called A Confederacy of Dunces. Um, probably the funniest book ever written. I can read it over and over and over. It makes me laugh out loud every single time. It's the best example of character writing I've and, and dialect writing I've ever read. And so has nothing to do with crime fiction whatsoever. Um, but, uh, you know, for the purposes of my own self-education and, and becoming a better crime fiction writer, um, I stick with, you know, the, some of the names I've mentioned, the James Lee Burks, the James Scott Bells, the, the, um, Elmore mm-hmm. Leonard, the, the, and then, you know, I read all of, uh, I just read today that Larry McMurtry died, um, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You know, what an amazing writer Larry McMurtry was. Uh, Cormac McCarthy. Uh, I've read all of his. Yeah, I'm all over the map. Stephen King. I love Stephen King. What a great writer. Um, so so I'll read a little of everything. Um, you know, I don't read a lot of uh, I don't read romance novels, I guess. I don't read I don't read cookbooks. I don't read uh, I, 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 I don't read uh, fantasy uh, I fantasy, I, I, you know, like I haven't read any of the Lord of the Rings. Um, I like wor- a world where there are rules, so I don't like things mm-hmm. to just sort of happen magically. <laughs> yeah. 
But that's just me. That's not denigrating the writing or anything. That's totally just me. Certainly those were hugely successful stories. And um, uh, I, I used to, as a, as a kid, I used to read uh, just tons of, of science fiction. Um, I like the kind of science fiction that where there is sort of one um, – Oh shoot! I can't remember this the specific uh, uh, term for it, but it, you suspend your disbelief in in sort of one aspect, but the rest of the story yeah. is based in reality. Uh, that's the kind of science fiction I like. Yeah, yeah, I I like those kinds too. You're kind. We kind of have similar uh, similar reading tastes, I think. But yeah, because I could never get into fantasy. Like uh, oddly enough, I have started reading more of it. Um, but like really prior to maybe like a couple books here and there, I'd read like the Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and I didn't think I would like those. And surprisingly, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of getting antsy that like maybe that series like I don't know when that series is going to end up being completed. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know that happen. I could have. I don't know that I could have read Game of Thrones. Um, I watched it and enjoyed it. It took me forever to figure out who was who. Yeah, uh, that. Yeah. But but um, it it, uh, it it was very it was very well done from from cinematically and 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 I and the acting was was outstanding and so I did enjoy watching it. I'm not sure I would have bowled my way through the books. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but that was, you know, now there's, I, and I, like I said, I don't read much of it. Now there's kind of a new way of doing it, but like a lot of the older ones I tried to read, that was my problem is that, Mm. you know, there was like 300 characters in the book (laughs) and they all had like certain names and I'm like, who is this, who is this person again? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, my which, brain, my, no, go ahead. My brain's too small to keep up with that many of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no shade to anybody who likes fantasy, but that was always my problem is I could, I could never keep them all straight. Um, but yeah, and uh, two, as far as um, like movies go, do you watch a lot of crime movies? Do you watch a lot, any movies like uh, in general or are you more of just like a reader? No, no, I love movies. Um, yeah, me you know, too. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was an aspiring and oh, yeah. moderately successful screenwriter. So, um, I, I absolutely love uh, uh, really good movies and of all sorts. Um, I, 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 I watch, you know, uh, uh, slapstick comedies, um, and I'll watch the, the the hardcore even right now. It's not a movie, but I'm watching a, a Netflix series called Expanse, which is a oh, yeah. basically a space opera slash Game of Thrones in space. Um, and uh, I'm enjoying it immensely. And it has some huge leaps of fantasy in it, uh, you know, where where I would ordinarily not dig it at all but i think they're doing such a great job with it overall that i'm i'm hooked in it i i love my netflix subscription (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i have so many 
that's the thing now um you know it's been going more that way and then especially with you know the way things have been for the past year that's that's been a lifesaver for me but i'm starting to get kind of carried away like uh because i have netflix um i have disney plus for my daughter Mm. and then as a huge horror fan i have shutter and Mm. i'm sure i'm forgetting some other ones but yeah but yeah, that was kind of like how I was with uh, like the Longmire series. Um, like I didn't, I wasn't sure how I would like it because you know it was like a crime mystery show, but it also kind of you know had like some westernish elements. It's the was, Walt Longmire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Craig um, Johnson uh, mm-hmm. writes, writes those um, really really well. The novels are excellent. I haven't seen any of the of the. Um, uh, of the series but the the novels were excellent very good writer yeah i've always and you know it's funny because we were kind of reverse on that and i've always wanted to read those um but i haven't yet because i just i have so many books but they're definitely they're definitely on the list mm-hmm. um but yeah like i i loved the show so i've been meaning to go back and um you know read the book so i'm glad to hear that you know well, I'm glad to hear they're doing a good job on the series because I would hate to hear I would hate to think that they you know ruined his his books because he's very good. Yeah, I'm not sure because um, it ended I think like maybe a year ago. It was like the fifth season, but I'm pretty sure that they um, they for the most part kind of kept with the books. Like obviously there were some differences and they might've, you know, maybe kind of blended elements, mm-hmm. but yeah, from people I know who have seen it and also have read the books, I'm, I'm pretty sure that like uh, fans of the book series have also enjoyed the show. It wasn't one of those things where, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like the books are great. And then the show is like terrible, right. which I have seen. <laughs> oh yeah. We've all experienced that. <laughs> We've all experienced that, and good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'll yeah. have to watch. I'll have to watch some of them then. Yeah, I think uh, I think most of them are on Netflix because it was like a, it was an A and E show, and then it had gotten canceled uh, for mm-hmm. like low ratings, and then you know through like fan petitions, I think it got <laughs> two seasons on Netflix. Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah, one of the one of the few times that that has worked. Yeah. <laughs> where yeah. people were like, I'm mad at you for canceling our show. We want it back. And then it, you know, actually finds new life afterwards. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> so, um, yeah, before I uh, let you go, um, I, is there anything else you want to, you kind of mentioned your, um, the books that you're working on, but is there anything else you would like uh, listeners to know about money bear or anything else? No order early and often. <laughs> um, you know, my website is carriekcox.com. Um, my Twitter handle is walkingbirdkc, and uh, welcome all of you to to order Money Bear on wherever you buy your books, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, you'll 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 get invested in the series um, and learn a little something in the process and be entertained. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot again for uh, coming on, Carrie. It was great getting to talk to you. Um, Loved Money Bear, and I'm looking forward to uh, the next books in the series. Thank you, Rich. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much.
Absolutely. Have a great night. Thank you. Bye. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs>